Thanks for tuning in to the Prime Bookseller Podcast, the bi-weekly podcast discussing all things Amazon bookselling. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Prime Bookselling. I'm Eric, and we're back with another episode. Believe it or not, it may not seem like it from your end, but I have not actually recorded one of these episodes in over two months. A little rusty. If my voice sounds terrible, it's because Canadian wildfires have just destroyed me this year. So we're back with another episode. We, we had just jumped into kind of the book selling world of things and getting more into, into the different methods that booksellers should use, like bookseller specific techniques. And in this episode, I was going to talk about the most common method of sourcing for a bookseller, which is basically going out to thrift stores, bookstores, library book sales to find books. Um, this is actually my recommended way for anybody to get started in the online book selling world. And, and the reason for that is, is because I just feel like it's very simple. It's very hand, straightforward. It really gets your hands in there. It really gets your mind working. So you really learn the tactics of what makes a good book. Most people, when they're scanning books, they have to look at the sourcing app every time they scan a book. So they see numbers over and over again, and it just starts creating a kind of a connection of what a good book looks like on that screen. So it becomes, sourcing becomes second nature very quickly. And I think that this is the best way to learn that, to really get a strong understanding of that. Now, again, I might be partial to this method because obviously this is when I started book selling this was pretty much the only method of sourcing that was out there and so this is how I learned so that might be why I think it's the best way to learn it is my opinion that it's still today one of the strongest ways to learn sourcing so I recommend everybody start here so if you're gonna do this kind of sourcing what do you need the first thing you start out with is you need to have a cell phone with internet connection. I assume most people in the world today have that. If not, you're going to have to look around and figure out how you can make that work because you, that is almost a necessity at this point to source. Once you have that, there's generally, I'm going to give you two different apps that people commonly use today. My opinion is one better than the other. Not really. Um, they're pretty much the same thing. You can look into them a little bit deeper. One might provide buybacks, site pricing, and the other one might not provide it. Stuff, really minimal things, but the core data that's there is exactly the same. And these two apps are called Scoutly and Scout IQ. Scoutly is a little weird to subscribe to it. You actually have to go to a website called asellertool.com because the aseller tool runs Scoutly. So it's just kind of a weird branding thing. Either one of these apps work great. I personally have never used Scout IQ, but I know plenty of people that do use Scout IQ and they say it's great. I've always, I mean, I haven't used one of these apps. I haven't gone into stores physically and sourced in probably 15 years. Well, not 15 years, like nine years. And I, but when I did do it, I would use Scoutly. And I used another software, but we won't even go into that one because it is so old. <laughs> and I wouldn't recommend anybody use it today. You get this app, and basically what this app does is it enables you to scan a barcode on a book, and then it's going to return pricing information to you. So you can gauge whether this item is profitable or not. All you have to do is do basic mathematics. It's going to come back. It's going to say the used FBA price is X amount of dollars. 
you're if you sell this on Amazon at that price, you'll make six dollars and you just have to figure out, well, I'm going to pay two dollars for this book. So is it worth me buying two dollars to make four dollars? I typically would tell you that's a very good buy. It all depends, though. The other important aspect to look at when you're doing this is that ASR, which is the average sales rank. We did an episode specifically on average sales rank earlier in the podcast. So if you are confused on what I'm talking about with ASR, I highly recommend you go back, find that podcast. It's called Sales Rank and Average Sales Rank, and it covers those in detail. The lower the sales rank you can get, the better the book typically sells, which means that that is definitely another barometer that you should be looking at when sourcing books. Now, if you follow other book selling gurus are going to go into the in-depth view of Keepa charts and all these other things that you need to do to source books and make smart choices. And I can tell you that Keepa charts do work. They do work beautifully if you know how to read them. My experience with booksellers is that most booksellers gain nothing by using Keepa charts because most booksellers truly don't understand how they're how to use them. They just know that they're supposed to use them. They use them, but they use them in a in a not very practical way, and it thus just doesn't really help them with sourcing. I've most booksellers that I know personally all use Keepa charts. We have compared numbers to see who sells more books, who has a better sell-through rate on their books. And I generally come in very close to them without ever looking at a Keepa chart. I never used Keepa charts because when I started, Keepa charts did not exist. So it just wasn't a thing and I never picked up on it. And it kind of confirmed that I didn't need to pick up on it once I looked at other people that were doing this, that were using Keepa charts, and I was seeing what kind of difference in sales they were getting compared to me. And I said, the extra time it takes to look at the Keepa chart, because these charts don't load in your app. You have to actually click a button and then they go to the the app. And it seemed to me that the value that most sellers were getting from that extra step just really wasn't worth it. I'll leave that up to you. I can tell you Will Keepa charts make you a better sourcer? Yes, if you use them right. Um, I happen to know a bookseller that lives and dies by Keepa charts, but he has his his use of Keepa charts is at a whole different level than what your average seller is. The data that a Keepa chart provides is powerful. The data that a Keepa charts provide provides is very powerful. If you are not going to learn how to use that data properly, then it's my opinion, you just cut it out. And I think it's a great way to start by not utilizing Keepa charts when you first begin. And the reason why I say that is because the hardest thing about becoming a bookseller is just doing it. But being a bookseller is not hard. Being successful as a bookseller is not hard. It, what's hard is getting it going because it does take, I mean, compared to most businesses, it doesn't take a large amount of capital to get going. Because most people that get into book selling are not, they're not weighing the pros and cons of starting a McDonald's or going into book selling. They would never start a McDonald's, but they're thinking about book selling, if that makes sense. So, so even though the cash outlay for a bookseller is very low, as opposed to somebody starting a McDonald's, the expectation of a person starting a book selling business is way lower than a person's. Because that person would never even consider starting a McDonald's because it costs so much to start, if 
even though it's not in comparison to other businesses, not a huge expense to start it. It is a huge expense because the people that typically are getting into this business, they're getting into it because they see it as a business they can start that doesn't cost a huge amount of capital. And with that said, it still does cost capital. And a lot of times I find that with many booksellers, that capital is uncomfortable. The time it takes to truly learn how to source a good book is a, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of upfront work. Once you get going and, and it becomes second nature, now you're just, you're not really doing anything. You're going out to a store and looking at books and being successful to learn that take is a curve and it takes time and it takes patience. And I think by immediately trying to throw in something as confusing as a Keepa chart into the book selling world, the book selling world is already confusing enough and a Keepa chart is just one more thing to distract a person from not succeeding. My recommendation is to avoid, at least initially, don't worry about a Keepa chart. But like I said, if you listen to any other person out there that's teaching Amazon book selling, they all seem to live and die by by keep a charts. Don't take my word for it. You have to make the de- that decision on your your own. Maybe I'm just a really silly bookseller that doesn't use keep a charts. I have been doing it for 13 years. I have been successful for those 13 years. From that perspective, you can kind of look at it and say, well, maybe it's not a requirement. Enough about the keep a charts. I want to move on to how. So now you have the scanning app. You have the ability to go out and find books. Um, I'm going to give you a couple barometers that I look at. I mean, when I, when I describe myself to any other bookseller, I always tell people that I'm an extremely lazy bookseller. And the reason for that is because I keep everything as simple as possible. It's just better for me the way my brain works. When I go outsourcing, my sourcing criteria is very simple. I am a seller. We talked about the MFN program and the FBA program on a previous episode of this podcast. And I do both avenues of of selling. And the reason that I do that is because I feel that that both programs are unique and ideal for books because obviously FBA is just the better program. You get better sales, more more items sell, they sell faster. The FBA program is opening it up like Amazon saying, hey, here, here's a program to sell to our best customers. Well, obviously you want to sell to their best customers. So that program's a given. Now, there's a hundred limitations on that program, and that's what makes MFN so powerful. Is that even though MFN books don't sell as well generally as FBA books do, F- MFN opens you up to be able to sell anything and everything because you can hold those books as long as you want, and because you can source books really cheaply, it's not hard. It's not unreasonable. To take a book that you pay $2 for is selling on Amazon for $72 and has just this outrageous sales rank that it maybe only sells every three years. Well, buy that book, throw it on on a bookshelf and leave it sit there for three years because guess what? It'll sell. And when it does sell, it doesn't matter if it's three, five, seven years. If you sell something for $2 and you make 70 or whatever it would be after Amazon fees. Let's say you make $48 off the $72 you sell it for. That's a hell of a return on your money. And it's, I mean, take it to take it to any financial advisor and say, should I spend $2 to get back $48 five years later? 
any financial advisor would say do that all day long. So the MFN program is unique because, especially for a bookseller, because it opens you up to so much more of the book catalog because some books that I would buy that I would never touch with FBA, I have no problem buying MFN because I know I can buy them and I can just leave them sit there and just wait for that day that they sell. I do both programs and when I... When I'm, when I'm sourcing, generally what I look for on FBA items, I want to be able to make a $10 profit off of anything that I sell over the cost of the book, plus that book has to have an ASR of under $2 million. On the MFN side, the profit is exactly the same. I go for a $10 profit. On that side, I will go up to $3.5 million on the sales rank because I know I can leave that book sit there. And I actually limit myself at three and a half million on the MFN side only because I feel like I can get enough books under three and a half million that I don't go any higher than that. For other booksellers, I would tell you that if you're not getting the inventory you want, I would play with that sales rank. I would go higher than that. Maybe three and a half million, I would add more profit into it. There's no reason to take that up a notch and take those risks on those books, especially if you're sourcing them. Um, let me make it really clear. Like, I will not buy a book for $50 that sells for $80 and have a $6 million sales rank. I would never do that. If you're picking these books up at thrift stores for 3 bucks and they're selling for $72, to me, that, that's a no-brainer. Just take that book. Take that risk. I wouldn't send it into an FBA warehouse because granted, with with a 6 million sales rank, yeah, it's probably not going to sell in the first year. It might, but it probably won't. To throw it on a shelf in an MFN capacity and leave it sit there for five years, it costs you virtually nothing to store it. And all you have to do is wait for it to sell. And over time of acquiring enough of those books, you know, you'll find that like 10% of them sell every month. And it creates a really good moving business by just having those books sitting there and picking off 10% each month. This is something that's really powerful, really important. And what the biggest thing I want to make everybody aware of in this episode is that I laid out a very, very simple criteria. FBA books. Don't buy anything over $2 million, $10 profit. Um, I will tell you that I do $10 profit because I can get enough books that give me a $10 profit. If you're not getting a $10 profit, you play with that number. You drop that down. If you're, if you're like, wow, I can get so many more books than, than I could ever use at that profit, then raise your profit up. Just adjust those numbers little by little to find that sweet spot for your sourcing. And then MFN, $3 million, $10 profit. Again, Adjust the profit up or down based on how many books you want to get. That's all you need to do to source. It's that simple. And and it does work. Now, okay, you do this for a month. I mean, I always tell anybody that gets into this, if you're not willing to do this for six months, then without seeing any sort of real profit, then don't even bother to do it. Because it takes time to build this up, it takes time to become profitable, becomes time takes time to become successful. If you're not willing to put that time in, then you shouldn't even bother doing this because you're just throwing money down the toilet. 
But if you're willing to put that time in, you're going to find six months, a year, year and a half. This business is just going to keep building upon itself and building upon itself. And it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger as long as you are actively out getting new inventory at all time. And an important aspect of this is, is that what happens is, let's just say you set yourself at a target goal of 200 bucks a month. I'm going to buy 200 bucks a month, put them into my store. Well, what's going to happen is your inventory supply is going to continue to grow and grow and grow over time. So if you're even if you're only buying 200 books, now to buy those 200 books, it's going to take you a lot of time. You're not going to get a lot of return in the first month. But now let's just say month two, you buy another 200 books, but you had 125 books left over that didn't sell from the previous month. Well, now you can see your inventory is progressively growing. And because of that, the amount you're going to get paid to source those two books or those 200 bucks a month is going to steadily increase over time because you did not, because that, that bank of inventory is sitting there growing. Even though you're buying the same 200 books you bought last month, I mean, it's not going to be the same 200 bucks, but this, the same amount of books, you're investing pretty much the same amount of time. But instead of now you have a bank of 300 books or 600 books or 800 books, depending on how you do this, as you continue to do that, it's just going to get better and better and better. So the name of this game is to be slow, patient, and in due time, you're going to see the dividends pay himself. Think about it. If you understand the concept of compound interest, well, book selling works the same thing. It's compound books. <laughs> the more books you get in your bank, the more money they're going to generate and the more money you're going to make on your end. And if you just keep a consistent sourcing method, which like I said, 200 books a month, that's just going to, can, your work level is not going to go up and it's just going to continue to and continue to grow over time. Hopefully that helps you with getting started with figuring out how to source books. Now I just want to talk about a couple of ways to find places to source books. Uh, like we, like I said, most people do library book sales, bookstores, and thrift stores. Well, bookstores, thrift stores, easy. Go to Google, search thrift stores near me. They'll give you a list of all the thrift stores near you. Go to go to Google, type in bookstores near me. Same thing. They're going to give you a list of bookstores stores near you. And so that's a good starting point. And depending on where you are, you might have a lot. You might have a little. Um, I... When I used to go out and physically source bookstores, we did a lot of Goodwills. We did a lot, a lot of half-price books. Books. They were both really, really good sources for us. That might be a good place to see, to see if you have any of those options in your area. If, and the other big option that you have is going to be library book sales. And library book sales are Exactly that. They're just book sales put on by libraries to get rid of excess inventory they have. They bring in a lot of donations from the community and they'll have sales with all those books. And so like a lot of li of these libraries will have an annual book sale to sell those items. So, And those are great ways to get a hold of books. Um, they can be competitive depending on where you go. Um, we used to do a lot of shopping down in the Chicagoland area and the booksellers... At least 15 years ago, they or 10 years ago, 
they were ridiculous down there. You were, I mean, there was people throwing elbows and stuff like getting kicked out of sales because of the things they were doing to try and get these books to sell. And that could have changed now, but it is also still very possible that it's that bad or has gotten worse. So, so just be aware of that. But if you want, if you want to tap into those sources, um, a great resource to look at is a website called booksalefinder.com. Booksalefinder.com. You're going to look, go to it and you're going to look at the website and you're going to think, man, this thing looks like it was made in 1980. And that's probably because it was. But, but it still is the definitive source to find library stores in your area. So they have a little map there. You just click on your state or whatever state you're going to if you're going to another state. And it'll bring up all the different sales that are happening in that area. Not every sale on the planet is on there. Yeah, if a library doesn't know about booksalefinder.com, they don't put the book sale on there. So, and people swear by if you can find those book sales that aren't on booksalesfinder.com, they're gold because there's going to be no other booksellers at that book sale. They're extremely difficult to find. And I can also tell you from a lot of experience with dealing with booksellers and the way they source, that every bookseller sources in a different way. So even if you go to a book sale and there's another bookseller there, or there's 10 other booksellers there, you will still be able to find books because inevitably everybody's tastes are slightly different. And those booksellers are going to leave back books behind that you would buy and vice versa. You're going to leave books that they would buy. So that's another key to this is if you ever go to a place and say, see somebody there scanning and don't just walk in, look and say, oh, he's scanning. I'm done. I'm out. At least give it a try. Because that guy could be leaving every book that you want behind, you know, because his criteria for books is so different. At least give the store a try in first C. Don't be thrown off by somebody else being there because it's still very possible that you'll be successful. The other thing I, I will say, I just want to add this about half price books. Should have said this when, when I mentioned them before. If you do go there, we never had much success with their regular price section. The, the key to half price books was was to find the key to half price books was to, to go into the clearance section. That's where we had the most success as booksellers. So so I I think that pretty much covers this type of method. I think that inevitably the the one thing I will additional thing I will add about this is while I will tell you that this is the best method of starting in my opinion in bookselling it is also going to be the most limiting method. And what I mean by that is eventually you're going to hit a level in your business that you can just no longer scale because A, there's not enough thrift stores. There's not enough bookstores. To A, there's not enough bookstores and there's not there's just not enough places to go to source enough books for your business. And two, you just don't have the time. And yeah, you can start bringing on employees and stuff like that. But as I think we get through this this podcast, you'll start learning that there's much more efficient ways that you can look at sourcing books to scale your business rather than having like 15 people running to thrift stores and buying books for you. Not to say that that doesn't work because there are a lot of people that are very successful in that method. I just, I think there's better ways to do it because there's just sources out there that have way more books than a, a thrift store does. And if you think outside the box, you can easily source from them and build a sustainable business that doesn't require 10 
people being paid to run around to thrift stores and buy books for you. So we will go, our next three sections are going to, or I I believe our next two podcasts are going to be all about sourcing books. So we will go into further detail on those once we, in those episodes, and you'll start hearing some of the other methods. In particular, I'm going to talk about the methods that I do for sourcing books today. So with that, I'll wrap this episode up. As always, if there are any questions about anything Amazon bookselling relating, feel free to drop me an email, sales, S-A-L-E-S at kingsridgemedia.com. Um, also check out the links in our show notes that will direct you to the different sourcing tools that we provide. Um, as of right now, we have in a program that gets you access to leads list for books, which is something I've never seen available, but we just generate a list of books that we think you can profitably buy off of eBay and sell on Amazon using the FBA program. And you can check those out. We actually do have an MFN one too. The MFN one is not nearly as as big as the FBA one, but there, there is an MFN list as well. So you could get involved with that. We also do have a couple suppliers that we work with that we can actually bring an inventory into our warehouse prep and ship in for you if you are interested in that service too. That service is, we do have a cherry picking version of it, which means you get a list and you look over that list to find books you want. We also have an automated thing, automated side of it, where you just give us criteria of what you're looking for with your books and we automatically order them and send them into your store for you. So if either of those programs are of interest to you, uh, check out those links in the show notes. And if there are any questions, again, just reach out to me, sales at kingsridgemedia.com. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Prime Bookseller Podcast. Join us for the next episode as we discuss all things Amazon bookselling.